Welcome to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Many thanks for joining us on the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast. Um, we're thrilled to be joined by Laurie pinkerton Raleigh, um, Director of Park Grove Design. She's based in Brighton. Um, she's also a fellow podcaster. She's founder of thirdage.design. Uh, I'll put links on the spiel that goes with the podcast and also on the journal of biophilicdesign.com. She's also on the British Standards Committee for Furnishing Fabrics, which she's going to talk about a bit later. But Laurie, many thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Great. Um, well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you work and, uh, and what you do there? Yes, so um, I'm director of Park Grove Design. We specialize in care, dementia, um, retirement, uh, design, plus hotels and some property developing work. And you'll be surprised how much overlap there is actually between all of those sectors. If you get fabrics which don't stain um, for a care home, you may well wanna use them in the hotel where people are drinking red wine on the sofa. So actually the database of suppliers does transfer over quite well um, in that respect. And also you do get hotels with older people sometimes staying in them. So some of those uh, considerations come into play. Um, I'm a past president of the British Institute of Interior Design. I have a, uh, a CAPS II qualification, which means Certified Aging in Place Specialist. Uh, which is a qualification I had to fly back to the U.S. to get. You can probably hear from my voice. I'm American originally, but I have no excuse for still having the accent as I've been here 32 years. <laughs> um, and um, that's sort of what I do. Then I have this podcast, ThirdAge.Design, uh, which shares information about the care and dimension retirement uh, design sector internationally. Um, so, you know, what are they doing in Japan? Is that something we want to think about here? How come they don't know that we're doing light reflective value differences? What can they learn for us? And so it's a, an open free forum for sharing information internationally. That's fantastic. And it is a really good uh, podcast. So anybody who's Thank listening, you. I suggest you, uh, you do um, Google and search it and, um, and add it to your OSS feeds. Uh, what got you into design in the first place, Laurie? Um, and when we've spoken before, you know, prior to this podcast, you speak with such passion and, um, and it's like it courses through your veins. I mean, what, what, what actually sort you. of uh, started you off on it? Um, I think it, I was naturally drawn to it. I mean, this is an embarrassing story, but just briefly, when I was a teenager, sort of 13, 14 years old, you would babysit for people to make, you know, pocket money. And they would go out for the evening. I'd put the children in bed and then I'd rearrange the furniture. <laughs> I mean, how offended would you be if you, but they always liked it. I, I could, you know, you'd just be sitting there and you think that's just, it's not right. It would look so much better this way. And um, they never put it back. And then I had one uh, babysitting job where they'd have me look at different rooms every time I'd come once the kids were in bed. <laughs> I was only 13 years old. Um, then when I... I started to get into the care design side of things uh, when my children were very small um, and we would visit my grandmother in what was considered a nice home. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, it, wasn't an, it wasn't a nice environment. 
and the children never wanted to go. But whenever they did, the entire environment would change. People would come out of their rooms, the staff would start smiling, and the whole thing was different. And I started questioning the kids, why don't you like to go there? Well, it smells bad, and it's kind of depressing. And when you sort of picked it out, you then started thinking, well, the environment matters not only to the residents, but also to the staff and also to any visitors they might get. And also it's somebody's life. Lots of times if you're moving into facilities like this, this is where you're going to live possibly for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, It should be something that is when you, if you ever, you know, go out, when you come back, you're glad to be home. Not that you're in a in a place um, where, where you've been put. Uh, I feel very strongly about that. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, some of the places are very institutionalized, doesn't it? You know, it feels like it's something out of some weird 1950s dystopian novel. Um, you know, I've had family that have been in these places and you go in and you're, you can't, you can't, you know, it's, it's as, as, a, as a punter, as a visitor, as it were, you can't mm. understand why the people who are designing and, and actually working in there and the, the managers of these spaces, I yeah. can't understand why they're not wanting to make the spaces better. I mean, there is a, obviously there's a lot of good places and stuff, but some places are still, you know, living in the dark ages, really. Yeah. And I think it's tied a little bit. And this the, part of this is biophilic design relates to um, uh, quite directly. I'm going to relate it to television. When TV first started, mm-hmm. it was when radio first started, it was vaudeville, mm-hmm. just sound. When TV started, it was radio with pictures. There wasn't really anything else to it. We've then gone through what was television into what is now more or less streaming services. So the whole thing has evolved to be to become a, another thing. Care homes very much started out as hospitals. It was a hospital model, and uh, they're you know they're they're selling, they're offering care. Therefore, that was a natural uh, place to go, and and they already existed. They've not yet become what they want to be, yeah. which is what they want to be is some place where people aspire to live mm. because it's easier because you can make your own food or someone else can make it for you because you have social spaces with lots of people around you to, um, so that you're solving the loneliness thing. So that there are beautiful gardens and grounds that you don't have to tend anymore because you don't feel like it perhaps. Or if you do feel like it, where you can get engaged in that activity. That would be an aspirate where there are spa facilities, where there's a library, where it's not just your physical needs being met, but where there's a a book club or an author of the month that comes in and talks to people or um, a continuing adult education. You don't stop living because you're in a home. You should actually start living in uh, in a better way than when you were on your own looking after a house. Absolutely. That's really lovely. Um, and I love what you're doing because you're, you are, you know, you're, you're pushing this forward. You're pushing mm. this concept forward. I mean, why is it important to create happier and healthier environments for the older generation? I mean, obviously it's kind of, it should be self-explanatory, but just to kind of hammer it home, really, why, why for you is it really important? I think there, there, I, I'm, I'm going to give one, um, 
reference to the states, but in general, if you think about the way we live and how culturally often we let kids just go out and run around now, as opposed to when I was a child, think about how much more time the older generation, people older than me, spent out outdoors. Yeah. They spent a lot more. So in terms of getting in touch with what feels like a comfortable, natural living environment for you, to, to try to engage with uh, something even as simple as ventilation, which is an important part of biophilic design, all houses weren't sealed buildings with double glazed windows and, and no air circulation between them. Having the ability to have fresh air circulating, to get out onto a terrace, to get out into a garden, absolutely fundamental to a sense of a normal life, particularly for older people, because they didn't grow up necessarily in that, um, in that closed buildings potential sick building environment. Um, there's something I wish would take off here, but I don't suspect it will in the UK. It's a, it's a, a very US thing, um, which is rocking chairs on a porch. It's very common in the United States and not just in certain parts of the United States, but all over the United States to have houses with porches especially any, any older properties will always have a porch and almost always have rocking chairs or some sort of seating outside. Um, lots of times people will screen these in because they have a lot more mosquitoes there than we do as well. Um, but it, it, you would often see, as I was growing up, older people in the rocking chairs on the front porch saying hello to, to the neighbors engaging with the neighborhood in an indoor outdoor space having that fresh air seeing the changes of the season um changing clothing because of weather change which was just an important part of of living yeah not just being sealed off someplace so i think it's particularly important for the older generation to have that interaction and also to engage outside of a building even if you've got limited mobility, there are ways of doing this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, I, I, I do think, and I'm completely with you that this, this should be, it should be second nature for designers. It should be, you know, almost like, well, how would I like to be when I'm that age? What sort of environment would I like to be in, for instance? You know, by that mindset. I mean, what are you finding are the main challenges? Um, with, you know, sort of getting this kind of design or these concepts, you know, the indoor, outdoor, even the biophilic design. I mean, what, what sort of, um, what are the main challenges that you're finding you're coming up Number with? one, cost. Yeah. Cost, yeah. So um, in order to, uh, and, and, and cost ties in with a lot of other things such as acoustics. So for example, um, uh, Park Grove designed uh, a, sort of a blueprint of a, a model biophilic design home that a group uh, which shall remain unmentioned was going to roll out. And there was a lot of uh, floor to ceiling glass. It met standards in terms of heat coming in. And, you know, we, we looked at all that, but by the time you, you, you start to dampen 
and, and lots of views out. By the time you start to dampen the acoustics in terms of the flooring and the windows at night in terms of the darkness coming in and the, and the, and the, and the, it just keeps going, ramping up costs, it starts to become a model that's quite different to that of a normal care facility where previously, and by previously, I mean as little as 10 years ago, whoever was the manager of the home would get sent these catalogs of furniture, for example, um, all of which was mainly Queen Anne. Now, Queen Anne is like the smallest amount of properties in the UK that you can possibly imagine. 90% of the housing stock is Victorian. Um, but, but these furniture companies couldn't sell the Queen Anne stuff, so they discount it and sell it as nursing home furniture, which is why you, you always got those kind of old looking things and why a lot of care homes look the same and they get these magazines. Oh, we need new chairs. Okay. That one's better than that. And, and that's how they were picked. So part of the model of the interior and the way they were is that it a started out as this hospital concept, but B was never designed by a designer. It was designed by somebody who's managing vulnerable people and staff and relatives and, 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 and again. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a really big part of it. The other main challenge is the supply chain. So I have been uh, banging a drum that no one's been hearing for uh, at least a decade. Um, there are some tremendous vinyl flooring companies which do a great job. There are some tremendous impervious backed carpet companies with low pile that's very good for people with walkers or um, where you're not trying to create, you know, trip hazards, low pile things. Um, can I get them to speak to each other in terms of colors? No. And the issue is, especially with dementia, you need to keep the colors uh, going from one space on to another similar in depth, because otherwise someone with dementia will look, will be standing on a lighter colored surface, looking onto a darker one and think that that's an abyss mm -hmm. and will not go forward. And it can be very um, unsettling for people, but I, I, I cannot get one hand to talk to the other. So I find that aspect of the supply chain and the amount of chemicals used in uh, treating fabrics um, uh, to be a, a, a potential health and well-being concern. Yeah, I mean, how how can we get the people talking together? I mean, how what what would be a what could be a thing? I mean, I know you said you went you was at the dementia care um, event in in Birmingham. Um, I mean, obviously that's the start, that's the place, but. Um, I mean, short of actually rounding them all up and putting them in a pen and then not letting them go before they sign a piece of paper saying, yes, we're going to talk to somebody. <laughs> Maybe that's a way. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, I mean, I mean, I've seen we're sort of doing the podcasts and, and stuff. What, what else can we do? What, what can we well, I, I think I think you've actually almost hit the nail on the head. I think it's a lunch someplace. Yeah. Um, where, you know, you'd be embarrassed not to attend. And we actually do put people in the same room and close the door and say, let's, you know, you say you're selling to this sector. Yeah. You understand what the parameters are. Um, I've got people on both sides, both from the carpeting standpoint and from the vinyl standpoint coming to me to ask about color, mm. but they will not, they will not speak to each other. So I, I think that might be something I have to do in the future is, um, 
either put people together in a room or put people together in a podcast, perhaps do yeah. it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, because somebody, something has to give, even if it's a small, uh, a couple of small ranges, they, mm-hmm. they, they'd sell. I mean, there's a commercial benefit. They'd sell like hotcakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I suppose in a way you're acting as translator yourself. So, I mean, you're yeah. always going to need that. It was going to need the designer or that, you know, the translator to do that. Um, and there's a benefit there. Um, but I think, uh, I think, yeah, getting a, getting a lunch together or yeah. getting both on the same podcast is a, is a really good idea. And if I can support or help or anything, just let me know. Thank you. Um, no, seriously. Um, uh, how do you see biophilic design helping um, create better spaces for our older generation? Contentment and uh, easing of stress. Yeah. So there are um, clients that we've worked with. There was one in North London and they had this wonderful idea. They had a very slope slight uh, site. So not particularly easy uh, for going out and about, but they designed into the buildings what they called winter gardens. So it's like conservatories, but they can, you know, be on higher floors as well. And very much, you know, looking at the treetops, the seasonal changes, being able to open to create great amounts of of air ventilation and fresh air and smells. Um, Part of the, uh, it's not just putting plants, having access to the outdoors and and windows at a a height that people can look out of. Um, It's acoustics, which we touched on, I touched on a a couple minutes ago um, with with the glass and the floor. It's getting acoustics. It sounds different when you go outside. It's, it's, It's a slightly deader atmosphere in a lot of ways because there are lots of different surfaces and, and, and textures and spaces that absorb and bounce uh, sound in a different way. That in and, in and of itself can be very calming for somebody um, to not have everything bouncing back off of a wall where you're feeling enclosed, your life feels expansive um, when you go out. There are smells, smells are part of life, let's face it, the smells inside a nursing home are not always the most pleasant. So we use um, aromatherapy um, and used effectively. We have uh, homes, I've never smelled a care home smell in those homes. Mm-hmm. Um, that has to do with the type of fabrics that we use, the type of uh, surface materials that we use. Um, but then also what about bringing some of those scents inside so you can have a pine tree scent or if you're doing dementia you can have a scent of baking bread to remind people on some very physiological level that they're hungry and that they should eat something Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. um we've had indoor outdoor spaces where we just very silently in the background without it becoming a disneyland experience um we'll have a loop of sound nature sounds Mm -hmm in that space so that even if the weather is rubbish you're having that indoor outdoor experience if you have sense with that and some sounds again in a subtle um uh in a subtle way that's a very different experience to being locked up in a building in the winter yeah absolutely yeah i mean Um, i think i think like you said um the the outdoor space 
um, Andrea Harmon, I was interviewing, you know, from Ecrophon, she's an expert in sound and, and sort of audible, um, sort of psychoacoustic side of things. But she says, you know, nature doesn't have walls. Just like you said, you know, you've got the reverberation when we're indoors and it's very, especially if you're in some of those care homes, it's very, um, um, well, yeah, just reflective, isn't it? There's not many, there's like, you know, there's the wardrobe and then there's the plastic table that they sit at and there's the plastic wipe clean chairs that they sit at. And there are other options to muffle the sound and to kind of like replicate that, um, you know, that that's sort of the softer side of nature. And as you said, it kind of, because mm. it reverberates and everything, there's lots of fractals and, and sort of, you know, fractal shapes, if you want to kind of for them to, for the sound to bounce off. Um, and also in imagery, it can be very nice to um, have, you know, depending on where in the home it is, um, whether dementia is uh, likely to um, be part of that particular offering, to have a mural or to have, yeah. um, uh, to properly frame views. One thing I loved, this relates back to the podcast, um, I'm sad because I visit care homes wherever I go in the world to see what they're doing. And I was in, um, like most people in their vacations, um, when I was in Japan, I noticed that there'd be a, a, like a window, just a normal window, but it happened to have a spectacular view. So rather than having a couple of chairs or a sofa there as a little seating area, they had a, a, um, a table with some, um, some chairs and a foot bath Ooh. underneath. Hi. So you could sit there and, and, and a stack of towels. You didn't need staff. You could just sit there and have a foot massage and look at the view and actually engage with it. Instead of it just being a source of light, it can actually be another form of art if, you, if, if the designer is incorporating that view into the design, not just as a, oh, look out the window, to actually sit looking out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's lovely. I mean, I'd like to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a visitor. Can I use this? Yeah. <laughs> Just do mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, how nice. I mean, what a nice thing to aspire to. I mean, like you say, you know, the benefit of going to these places, visiting these places, you can bring back best practices and, you know, bring them and, and educate people and say, oh, it's not exactly education. That sounds a bit sort of, um, so derogatory but actually just to inspire people you know to so just to share just to share because for example in japan they weren't aware of um our light reflective uh, value differences which are really important especially in dementia but also as people's eyes age and macular degeneration comes into play um you need some stronger contrasts um yeah. unless you're totally familiar with the inside of a space and lots of times within care, furniture will move for events. So it, it it's, it's, doesn't tend to be a totally stable atmosphere. Therefore, having those color differentials becomes, becomes very, very important. Um, uh, the other thing is uh, plants, which we touched on earlier. Mm -hmm. The engagement with plants might be something out in the garden mm -hmm. um, that you don't have to look at but it could be something that you were part of the gardening club. Yeah. Raised beds, engage, you know, seasonal changes and, you know, a responsibility. Mm -hmm. we, we, even though you're older, nobody wants to not have value within a society. So if the society happens to be within a building, yeah. 
you're not just help me, I'm helpless. What can you do? Yeah. How do you want to serve the community? And what's your role that you can take ownership of mm-hmm. and engage with that's good for your sense of well-being? And I, all of these things need to be designed in. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a lot, you know, having a, a garden space or an outdoor space or to grow vegetables or cut plants or cut flowers. You know, so the older generation have a wealth of experience, have a wealth of knowledge. You know, ask them, you know, what grows nice next to that? Are we growing potatoes? What should we grow with that? I've heard that you grow marigolds with them or you put garlic in with your roses and it stops the aphids. You know, I mean, they must have like a wealth of stuff that they could share. You know, I've got a stain in my clothes. What can I do? You know, all this sort of stuff to bring them in, to bring their knowledge base in actually is really important. So also, and does like- that feed into the, to the restaurant? Yeah. Does that feed into, you know, hey, it's our peas or, you know, yeah, at lunch today or, you know, yes. Yeah. yeah. Get other people to help, you know, collect them. They might not be the gardeners, but maybe they could help shell them and stuff, you know. So it's a real, you know, bringing the nature elements into um, into a space um, is it's a community space. It's a home, isn't it? It's a that's how it's it, a home. That's how it should be perceived as it's a home. You know, it's it's. Um, yeah. Um you've I mean you've 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 created some beautiful spaces and um obviously you know listeners um I'm I'm getting I'm putting a link onto um the podcast bill to the links to your to your um your website but um is there a particular um case study or you know a particular you know place that you've designed that you'd like to share with us and and it's gonna be quite a challenge but maybe you could describe either what it was like before or what the input what you've changed and and sort of just you know like from your heart what it feels like as well so people can kind of get that sense um of what you've done um i I think i i'm well i like all of them because they're all so different um uh one thing I can, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, we're quite excited about working with the Royal Hospital Chelsea for the Chelsea pensioners. Mm-hmm. And we're redoing um, the interiors of, of, of one of the buildings down on the embankment in London. Um, first of all, the people are amazing. But I also like, uh, it's very interesting to do something with a particular user group that ha- that has a unique approach on the world in general. So we are engaging in how we're storing those beautiful scarlet uniforms Mm -hmm. and the hats and whether or not that isn't part of why people are so proud to be there and be a pensioner, whether or not that isn't part of the decoration in the corridors Mm -hmm. rather than shoved in a wardrobe um, in some way, for Mm -hmm. example. using uh, some of the heritage uh, elements that they have there and incorporating that into the design. So in the entrance to the medical suite, for example, um, there's an entire wall which we're pin spotting that will show the Chelsea Physic Garden, which I don't know how familiar your listeners uh, will be to this, but that was actually um, planted for medicinal purposes for the Chelsea pensioners. That's where they would grow their medicines. And so this is a very biophilic uh, kind of thing. And so we've got a, a um, uh, we're putting a giant map in the medical suite of the layout of the Physic Garden. Nice. Um, so it's, it's that very, very personal, uh, very, very personal engagement um, with any group of people really, which is, is quite interesting. People will tend to go to 
uh, a facilitator or even a retirement village because there's something of interest in that particular place. And so our, our, um, our raise and detras to figure out what that is and really explore that quite fully. Yeah, uh, I mean, just as a lovely, and as you mentioned, you know, the, the Chelsea Physic Garden. Um, again, if people have are not familiar with it, I you know recommend that they they Google and, and find out about it. Um, but yeah, um, that's a really lovely idea to kind of have a visual record, you know, a map of it to kind of jog their memory and to kind of you know to keep to connect them to the space as well to kind of connect them to the localized space. I think it's really important. Mm -hmm. And so, to to connect it to the medical aspect because we sort of see that as a, as a different play, you know, yeah. medicine is something that comes in a little pill, but mm. it, you know, it didn't start out that way. <laughs> it most likely started out in a plant somewhere. And that's, you know, why we need to protect the rainforest and, and mm. lots of other parts of the planet and the sea and everything else, because this is where we get helped by nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sort of moving on from that, I mean, what aspects of uh, biophilic design would you really like to see other care homes incorporating in their design? I mean, obviously, there's like probably easy wins and there's probably more difficult kind of solutions. But, um, you know, do you, you know, would you have a checklist? <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would like to see more interaction with what we call the M&E consultants, which is the mechanical and engineering consultants and the rest of the design team into um, being able to put more live plants in spaces mm -hmm. and how that's lit and, and almost more importantly, how the humidity level of that is handled. So there are you know, spectacular atriums across the world spectacular great big things and they're perfectly pleasant to go in without feeling like you're actually in a rainforest but th there's a lot of engineering aspect to that which makes it quite a difficult proposition um with the budgets that are available in these sorts of pro projects uh but even if we were to come up with some sort of a smaller model almost at some point for rolling out um an atrium that's more of an immersive garden experience because it it's rubbish weather half the year here yeah. so um it would be worth doing yeah. um so that's that's something i would very much like to see um i would like to see uh more things being done with um smell mm -hmm. so we have um, we have these dispensers, which give out these lovely smells. We don't really have any things that you touch and they give off a smell like happens outdoor. I'm not sure what that looks like, but that's like on a wish list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, down the line. Um, yeah. and I would like to see maybe some further use of, um, uh, the the virtual reality experiences for people that perhaps are not able-bodied anymore to be able to have some of those experiences but again tied somehow with acoustics and scent yeah because that's yeah 
yeah it's all our senses isn't it when we awaken that because we don't we take it for granted like you say you go out into nature it's like I came home last night and um and uh the smell of the lavender at my doorway and you forget how it releases the smell at night and um and actually that's also part of the circadian rhythm thing isn't it so if you can yes landscape in a space well that's a that's a really good that's a really good example i mean i outside um my bedroom i've got i'm very lucky i've got some french doors and i always grow jasmine because at night on a summer you open the doors and you know it's it's absolute heaven but circadian rhythms um and circadian lighting uh this royal hospital chelsea project we're using that as well um yeah. in order to uh make people feel better and engage with the day in a, in a more natural fashion yeah i mean it'd be interesting i mean obviously with we were talking earlier before you know about before we started recording about technology and like you know some aspects of of technology and care homes that you know the kind of can be top heavy in terms of budget and things like that but you maybe we could actually look at technology in terms of um you know sensors and things so imagine like there's a picture of some lavender or something and as you go past it it releases the scent you know there's like an you know the sort of internet of things maybe there's you know yeah. or something oh you know it, it could, it could, it could that's the kind of thing i'm yeah that's the kind of thing i'm talking about right. just seeing a, a picture of something especially if you really mm. can't get out isn't isn't an experience it's a visual experience but it's a it's not an experience in any other way there's no airflow coming at you there's no scent of anything yeah exactly exactly yeah imagine that with a seascape or something you know i mean you could do that with the dynamic i mean obviously the video head on but you could do that with like a dynamic view of of water coming through and then you could have the sound of it and and that smell of the salt spray and you know yeah gosh you could just do so many things and you actually have pebbles in front of it so people could pick them up and experience you know so the whole kind of localized thing she says having put i've got my economy next to me we, we designed at the um the grand hotel in uh in brighton down on the seafront and for the restaurant at one point we were looking at putting it underground and that's exactly what i was going to do i was going to have live cameras oh, wow. coming off the balconies projected on the walls underneath oh, wow. at the lower ground floor so you could see in real time one-to-one -one what what was actually the view that you weren't you might not have gotten otherwise wow and um, that's visionary now that's but you're a good designer you're a good no designer smells, though. <laughs> yeah. um, only croissant yeah <laughs> um i mean is there anything else you'd like to add at all at this point i don't think so i think it's it's um i think it's very very much the future um at getting the biophilic design and if you use it as that phrase with care and retirement and and dementia providers it doesn't mean anything to them so it's about um it's about absolutely incorporating that into this sense of home and and hope and real living that that the designers and architects uh, and design team in general need to take on board in order to get away from this hospital model i think it's fundamental yeah absolutely yeah um well i mean I'm, i am going to get you back on at some stage to talk about other other aspects of bifurc design and and sort of you know to, to to track your progress as well and and again just to reiterate listeners um you know please go to um park grove designs website again the links i'll put on the on the spiel and also have a listen to um laurie's third age dot design podcast um it's really good it's very inspiring um, so really, Laurie, the final question that I ask everybody at the end of these podcasts and regular listeners will know, 
um, and it's my favourite bit. <laughs> if you could um, brush the world with like this sort of magic brush of um, biophilia, what would it look like? We would get back to something that people seem to be amazed about at the beginning of the pandemic, which was the being able to see the fish in the canals in Venice, seals on the beach here in Brighton and Hove. Um, just pulling back and we're the only species that seems absolutely determined to disassociate from the environment entirely. <laughs> and that's not really how life works. Um, so uh, the, the biophilic brush is to say, people have taken some of these lessons on board and said, ah, I, I liked that better when that happened. Let's engage in this more. And then let's make, let's get away from having to seal up everything 100% and, and come somewhere in the middle where we're being um, sensitive to the needs of, to energy needs and our carbon footprint and all of that but in a way that becomes human again. I mean, the best design ever for a building, in my opinion, was were Roman villas. So Roman villas, you had a central outdoor courtyard. If you're in England, you might put glass over that, but still. And then around that, you had all your rooms and everybody could gather. And when they were gathering, they were gathering in the outdoor space. Best design ever. Thank you for listening to the Journal of Biophilic Design podcast.